Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of a mystery. All stories are structured to challenge you to beat the detective to the solution. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance that's meant to be heard. Jack and I perform these live, front to back, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes. For season six, Jack and I have again decided to go ad-free. I do this because I love mysteries, and Jack does it because he loves me. Jack may be a starving college student, but it's because he hasn't mastered chopsticks and ramen at the same time. We do ask you to support the writers of our show. This week is Chuck Brownman. Check him out, buy and read his stories, and help other readers find him. Make writing for Mysteries to Die For the best decision he could have made. In your review, tell him Tina and Jack said, Bonjour! This is Season 6, Things That Go Jack in the Night. This season contains truly imaginative mysteries around one of the most common words in the English language. From the brandy distilled from hard cider known as Applejack, to that nefarious one-eyed Jack, to the animals, vegetables, fruits, tools, and weapons and slang, the way the word Jack is used in the English language is unique, inventive, and too numerous for us to count. And yes, it's also the name of my piano player and producer. For episode 10, a jackknife is the featured Jack. This is Jack the Knife by Chuck Brownman. Chapter 1, Keeping a Watchful Eye Yvonne Richardson sat at the tiny table, which, at the very last minute, had been shoehorned next to the kitchen at the rear of the restaurant's small dining room. With his back pressed tightly against the stucco wall, he shifted his body, looking for any position that wasn't cramped and uncomfortable. Instead, he smashed his knee against the table leg. Pain radiated along his shin. As he rubbed the tender spot, the kitchen door slammed open against the back of his chair. As the waiter said, too late, watch out, coming through. He could have been enjoying a late night supper at one of his many favorite restaurants near his apartment in The Hague. Instead, here he was in Manhattan, squeezed in, tired, hungry. But one thought superseded his complaints. It's all worth it if I can nab Jack. The aromas and sounds coming from the kitchen, beef, chicken, shrimp, sizzling, sautéed and seared, were making his mouth water. He hadn't eaten much today, having flown in earlier this afternoon from Europol's offices, landing at JFK late with barely enough time to clear customs, change his clothes at the hotel, and arrive at the restaurant to strong-arm Henri Robichaud, the restaurant's owner, to arrange this tiny table setup. He grabbed another warm roll. It would have to suffice. He couldn't be distracted by a meal. He had to stay vigilant. At this early hour, just after six, only three of the table's 11 restaurants were currently occupied. Only open a few months, Henri's restaurant still carried the old name, Plonger Pierre, literally Pierre's dive bar. Henri had admitted to Yvonne earlier today that he hadn't had enough money or time to change the name. But despite its recent opening, the place was starting to generate some 
quote, buzz. And because the restaurant was a reservation's only establishment, located in a still gentrifying neighborhood, he always kept the door double locked and admitted customers only when they pressed the buzzer. But unsure whether the action would commence, Ivan needed to be alert. Europol had gotten a tip. Jack the Knife would be here tonight. And whenever Jack showed up, a dead body soon followed. One of the world's most successful assassins, Jack had been tied to at least two dozen killings over the last decade. Ivan himself had investigated six, and like colleagues at Scotland Yard and the FBI and other top-tier law enforcement agencies, he hadn't come close to identifying or apprehending the killer. But tonight was different. For once, they knew in advance where Jack would strike. And I'll be here to grab him, he thought. As Ivan took another bite of the homemade dinner roll, melted butter making it soft and sweet, he glanced again around the compact dining area, maybe eight meters from one side to the other, checking out the customers. At a table for four in the middle of the room sat two couples, laughing and talking in an animated fashion. Maps and brochures lay scattered on the table as they debated which to visit tomorrow, the Metropolitan Museum of Art or some aircraft carrier berthed in Midtown. Tourist, and once with no taste at that, how could you forego the Met for an aircraft carrier? To the right of the tourist, as Ivan, as Ivan looked at the room, the smaller table against the wall was occupied by two men, both in their early 50s. Both wore expensive suits, had professionally styled haircuts, and were deep in a serious conversation. Corporate executives, finance guys or lawyers probably, or maybe members of organized crime, if that wasn't repetitive. The last of the three occupied tables was to the left of the four tourists, on the wall opposite the two men. A woman sat alone. Using the dim overhead lighting and the candle flickering at her elbow, she read a sheaf of papers as she ate. Her straight auburn hair hung down, partially obscuring her face from the eagle Yvonne had. Seven people. If Jack completed his task, one would soon be dead. Not if I have any say in the matter. Yvonne cringed as the door from the kitchen area banged into him again and the male waiter walked past holding a pair of salads, the greens in colorful contrast to his black apron. The man seemed to take pleasure at banging Yvonne every chance he could. At present, only two servers were on duty, both petite, one man and one woman, and one busboy. Every member of the staff was new at the restaurant, but as the place filled up later, Henri had said more weight staff would show up for work, making Yvonne's job much harder. The busboy came by to fill up Yvonne's water glass. Like the two servers had been doing, he gave Yvonne a look, wondering who Yvonne was to rate an addition of a table and why he wasn't ordering food. After the busboy left, moving to the real customers, Yvonne took a sip of water, continuing to watch. The male waiter was serving the salads to the two men, who were still finishing appetizers. The tourists were eating desserts, and the woman was walking, the woman's server was walking toward the auburn-haired woman's table. All normal, except it wasn't. Yvonne wished Jack would make his move now, before the restaurant got too crowded. More people meant more confusion, more things to watch, and a greater chance of sight lines being obscured. 
plus the waiting was making Yvonne edgy, his hunger growing with every appetizer and entree brought out. Maybe I could chance a small appetizer. Suddenly, the lights went out. An anguished scream followed. Chapter 2. What's going on? From the darkness came multiple voices, people asking variations of, What's happening? Following the sound of a glass being turned over, a woman snapped angrily, Be careful, you spilled your wine on me! Yvonne reached out, trying to recall where he placed his phone on his table. Two nearby flashlights flicked on, giving enough light to locate his phone. Yvonne's flashlight joined the others. Henri, the restaurant's 40-something owner and chef, rushed from the kitchen carrying a large camping lantern. No one be alarmed. This will fix right away. And as easing feeling warming its way through his stomach, Yvonne took advantage of the meager light to look around. Sure enough, one of the corporate types was slumped over, his chest lying on the top of his table, his face pressed into plates of half-eaten appetizers and salads, like a tired school child resting at their desk in the middle of an afternoon math class. Yvonne dashed to the table. No pulse. Hoping he wouldn't find it, Yvonne looked down. From the middle of the man's back, a thick, stubby knife protrude. In the dim lighting, he didn't bother examining the weapon. There was no need. He already knew what it would look like. Incredibly sharp, with a pearl handle. Crap, Jack's done it again. And right under my nose. From behind him came murmuring footsteps and the scrape of chairs. He had to take control of the situation, fast. Standing, he turned to the group and identified himself and his connections to Europool. I have to ask you all to step back. He made a go-back gesture with his open hands. Please, take your seats. The remaining six customers reluctantly moved away, clearly disappointed to give up their ghoulish ringside view of the dead man. Henri said, This is terrible. Monsieur, you said nothing would happen if I let you in here. My restaurant. Yvonne cut him off brusquely. Never mind that. Call the police. The male waiter piped up. I've already done it. They should be here quick. Good, he said, returning to Henri. Let's check the door. But then Yvonne hesitated. Everyone in the room was a suspect, and he didn't want them left unsupervised. He decided to use them all. Everyone, stay right where you are, and let me know instantly if anyone else moves. With Henri alongside, Yvonne walked to the front of the restaurant and pulled on the door handle. Still light, still locked. Jack the Knife was still here, in the restaurant. I can still catch him. Yvonne turned, considering the six diners, two waiters, and one busboy. He could exclude Henri and the kitchen staff. Until now, they hadn't been out of the kitchen all evening. Nine people, and one of them was a world-class assassin. Let's get these lights back on, he said then followed the owner along the hallway containing the two restrooms and access to the kitchen. By the light of Henri's lantern, he found the device inside the breaker box, a timer used to throw the breaker at a preset moment. Using a cloth napkin to avoid disturbing fingerprints, he pushed the switch. The restaurant lit up. The breaker box's location meant that anyone, employee or customer alike, could have accessed it. Maybe Jack had a confederate among the kitchen staff. In some past cases, the assassin had occasionally hired one-off helpers for the job if the plan called for it. 
but if those prior killings were any indication, the hired accomplice wouldn't know much, hired anonymously to be in a particular place to do a specific task. So Yvonne's goal remained Jack, him or her self. Returning to the dining room, Yvonne checked his suspects. Everyone appeared to be where he'd left them moments ago. Just then, the buzzer at the front door sounded. Pounding on the door followed. NYPD, open up. Yvonne accompanied Henri to the door and watched him unlatch both locks with a pair of loud, metallic clicks. He was sure he hadn't heard that sound after the lights went out for the confirmation that Jack was still here. A uniformed cop entered to Yvonne, now feeling all of his 44 years. The cop looked young. I'm Officer Sanchez. What's the problem? Yvonne introduced himself again, the third time he'd done so today. Must be a new record. Upon hearing there was a dead body, Sanchez looked both alarmed and excited. Maybe it was his first DB, but surely the NYPD wouldn't put inexperienced cops in the field alone. Let's take a look, Sanchez said, heading toward the corpse. He went through the same steps Ivan had performed, looking at the body's position, unsuccessfully feeling for a pulse. Now given the opportunity to observe the body with more light, Yvonne looked for, and found, the expected cause of death. And out the front jackknife, pearl handle, Jack's signature weapon and the source of his nickname, since the agencies hunting for him didn't know his real name. Sanchez started asking Henri and others basic questions. Needing to brief the officer out of earshot of everyone else, Yvonne interrupted. Sanchez frowned but followed Yvonne away from the group. I didn't want to say this in front of the others, Yvonne said in a low tone, but my being here is no coincidence. Europol received a credible tip that an assassin would strike tonight here at Plongere-Pierre. He summarized Jack's history and multiple killings. I was dispatched to stop him. So you failed, Sanchez said bluntly. Yvonne bit back a defensive retort. With the chance to arrest Jack still possible, he'd have to stay on Sanchez's good side. Instead, Yvonne explained why he thought Jack was still among the nine suspects. Sanchez nodded. Interesting. Certainly puts a new light on things. The cop reached for the door. I'm going outside to call the detectives. Yvonne stayed right behind him. I'd like to come with you. Sanchez put up his hand in a classic halt gesture. Sorry, Mr. Richardson. You need to wait here. There was one mistake in what you told me. Yvonne was confused. What mistake? Ten suspects, not nine. Sanchez gave Yvonne a penetrating look. You're a suspect, too. Chapter 3. Meeting Officer Sanchez. While Yvonne waited, he kept an eye on the nine suspects waiting in the dining room. A few minutes later, Officer Sanchez re-entered the restaurant. Yvonne could see that he didn't look happy. Detectives won't be here for a while, the officer said. Combination of questioning perps in other cases. Short staffing due to budget cuts. I guess it's the same in your organization. I get to hold down the fort till they arrive, sort out who's who. Sanchez held out his hand, his eyes locked on Yvonne. So I'm starting with you. Let me see your ID. Dumbfounded, Yvonne handed over his EU passport and Europool credentials. Sanchez studied the documents carefully, then nodded and returned them. Guess who you, you are who you say you are. He 
He rubbed his hands across stubble on his chin. Don't mind telling you, I don't have a ton of experience with DBs. Sergeant Eps Esposito, she's my watch commander, a real ball buster. She said I'm in charge. He looked around as if verifying that no one was listening, then leaned closer to Yvonne and said in a low voice, Been any help you can provide, you know, on the down low? I'm happy to help, Yvonne assured the officer. Then he gave Sanchez a condensed explanation about the assassin who eluded them for so long and the events leading up to why the police had been called. As Yvonne finished, Sanchez looked incredulous. Sounds like a spy movie. You don't even know what the guy looks like? Yvonne shook his head. We're not totally sure he's even a he, but because of the knife, the Jack nickname stuck. So we refer to the assassin as he and him. Anyway, from CCTV on his past hits, we believe that he, or she, is medium height and weight, although he has sometimes used disguises to appear taller and heavier. All we know for sure is the MO, the inlaid OTF he always uses, including tonight. OTF, Sanchez repeated. Sorry, I've been chasing this guy for so long I sometimes forget that not everyone knows the files like I do. Yvonne smiled, received an acknowledging nod in return from Sanchez, and then continued. OTF stands for Out the Front Knife, kind of a combination of a stiletto and a switchblade. You push the button and the blade springs out straight from the handle, locked and ready to thrust into your victim. Yvonne demonstrated as if holding a knife. That's what made Jack so unusual. He kills close up, even when they're well protected. Sanchez hitched up his duty belt. Well, let's catch this guy, he said. He turned and marched into the dining room. Amused at the officer's enthusiasm, Yvonne shrugged to himself and followed. In the few moments Yvonne and Sanchez had been gone, everyone had moved as far away from the body as they could. Someone, probably Henri, trying to save his customers the sight, Yvonne assumed, had covered the body with a tablecloth, but he couldn't ask the owner. Henri was nowhere to be found. Yvonne suggested to Sanchez that, before talking to the nine suspects, he get the names of the kitchen staff and send them home. Fewer people to watch. Sanchez agreed and then walked into the kitchen. We can't leave, the heavyset tourist said. I'm not used to being treated this way. The officer will be just a few minutes, Yvonne replied in a tone intended to calm everyone. Realizing that the crime scene was tainted, Yvonne knew that his only chance of capturing Jack was to trick the assassin into a foolhardy move that would reveal himself. So he studied the group more intently than before, hoping to spot a clue. But everyone behaved as they should. The four tourists seemed agitated, especially the larger of the two men. The man seated with the victim was on his cell, talking about contingencies, contracts, and meetings. The red-haired woman who'd been eating alone sat patiently, studying the group as avidly as Yvonne. And the waiters and busboys stood apart, talking amongst themselves and looking scared. After some minutes, Henri entered the dining room carrying a tray of appetizers. He offered them to his customers, along with object and effusive apologies. A few minutes later, Sanchez entered the room. It's about time, exclaimed the man who'd been dining with the dead men. Can we go? I have an emergency meeting to get to. Sanchez replied, You can go when I say you go. The tone of his voice had an edge of toughness. For right now, you're all witnesses and suspects in the killing of that guy. 
No one's leaving yet. But we have to, said one of the tourist women. We have theater tickets. Show them, Charlie. She nudged the heavyset man standing beside her, who pulled an envelope from inside the pockets of his sports coat and brandished it like a Star Wars lightsaber. Never mind that, Sanchez said. I want to see IDs on all of you. Over a chorus of objections and grumbling, Sanchez gathered everyone's identifications and wrote them down. Ivan leaned against the wall watching, looking for a hint of who the assassin was. There was nothing. Then Sanchez joined Ivan. What do you think, the officer said, thrusting the paper toward him. Ivan scanned the names. The two couples he'd taken as tourists, the Fredricksons and Millers, were from Indiana. He didn't know which was which. The dead man's dining companion was Matthew Morrison, address Washington, D.C. The redhead eating alone was Priscilla Hannigan, a local from Brooklyn. The two waiters, Morden R. Joseph and Sarah Hassan, and the busboy, Mohammed Saeed, also had local addresses. Nothing stands out, Yvonne said. Of course, Jack would have a fake ID on him, and we don't have time to verify that each one is who he or she claims to be. He handed the list back to Sanchez. Before we question any of them, maybe we should find out something about the victim. You mean, touch, go through? The officer turned pale, cleared his throat, and then looked away. <clears throat> would, would you mind? Just my luck. 36,000 cops in New York City, and I get one with a weak stomach. Having to prop up Sanchez was going to make catching Jack that much harder. Chapter 4, The Victim and His Dining Companion Approaching the dead man, Ivan reached underneath the tablecloth and felt around, ignoring the looks of shock and disgust crossing the faces of the Indiana tourist and of Morrison, the dead man's companion. No reaction from the redhead. Interesting. He forced himself to disregard the gooey texture and the coppery smell. Good thing he hadn't eaten. He might have vomited Henri's food. Finally, he located and extracted the man's wallet. Walking back to Sanchez, he grabbed a napkin to wipe his hand, but only some of the victim's blood wiped off. Handing the wallet to Sanchez, he said, Who is he? Sanchez flipped it open. Frank Anson, Illinois driver's license, Chicago address. He shuffled through the rest of the billfold. Amex black card, Chase Sapphire Reserve. Guy must have had a lot of dough. Not much good to him now, said Ivan. Let's find out more about him from Morrison. They were eating together. Sanchez summoned Morrison to join them. Now that Ivan could see the man without a dining room table shielding him, or surrounded by the chaos of murder being discovered, he judged Matthew Morrison to be about Ivan's own height, a shade under two meters. You're in the States. Better to think of it as an inch or two over six feet. Morrison wore a dark suit worthy of the Seville... Roe Taylor, and a sour expression worthy of a Marseille longshoreman. Are we finally free to leave? Morrison snarled. I'm asking the questions here, Sanchez countered. I understand you are eating with the victim. Tell us about Mr. Anson. He's the CEO of a manufacturing company, in from Chicago on business, Morrison said. He was here looking to arrange financing for some new business opportunities. We met with the banks today and are scheduled... Well, we were scheduled to meet again tomorrow. 
And what is your business with him? Sanchez asked. I'm an attorney in Washington. Morrison extracted a business card and gave it to Sanchez with a flourish. I advise clients on governmental matters. As part of the financing, there were regulatory issues we had to discuss with the bank. What about the other customers, Sanchez asked. Did any of them talk to Mr. Anson, interact with him in any way? Morrison lowered his eyes for the moment, as if thinking. Now that you ask, that woman there wearing the blue blouse, he said, referring to one of the tourist wives, she pestered him about sights to see in New York, good restaurants, that kind of thing. She wouldn't leave him alone. He finally had to be rude, basically told her to shut up. But it wasn't Frank's fault. We had issues we needed to resolve. Now that Morrison had said this, Yvonne realized that he'd seen the interchange, but hadn't thought much of it. Really, Sanchez said, his interest apparently by a sudden arching of his eyebrows. How did she react? Did her husband get angry? Yeah, her husband, the, the beefy guy, Morrison said, pointing to the man. He kept muttering to himself. Seemed like he was going to pick a fight. I told him to calm down to just finish his meal without causing a scene. Sanchez flashed a, do you want to ask anything look to Yvonne? Yvonne took the hit. What banks were you meeting with and what were the meetings about? Were they going well? Morrison bit his lip and then shook his head. I'm sorry, I, I can't say anything more without divulging confidential and privileged information. Sanchez shut him down. This is a murder investigation. But Morrison refused to say anything further. Sanchez told the attorney to go back to the others. Before complying, the lawyer paused. You asked about the other customers. The lady was making a lot of contact with Anson. Which one, Sanchez asked. The redhead eating by herself. She gave Anson a bunch of glances and smiles. It seemed like she was interested in meeting him and who knows, but he was killed before he could accept the invitation. Morrison left to rejoin the others. Lawyers, the officer said with disgusted tone in his voice, whole world would be better without him. Perhaps, Yvonne said, thumb on his cell, but here's the firm's website with a picture and bio of Morrison. I wouldn't put it past Jack to set up an elaborate website in case anyone looked, but for now I think we can accept his story as fact at face value, pending further information. If you say so, but I'd still like to get another shot at him, just on general principles. Sanchez wrote something in his notebook. Who do we talk to next? The fighting tourist or the seductive redhead? Chapter 5, A Crisis and Interviewing the Tourists. Before talking to the ne next suspect, Ivan wanted to wash his hands to get the rest of the victim's blood off. He walked past the small table he'd been sitting at and glanced in at the kitchen to make sure things were under control in there. They were not. A large pot had been left on the stove. Steam billowed from the pot. As Ivan got close, he saw a murky and smelly liquid inside bubbling and close to a boil. His eyes began to tear and the noxious smell gagged him. Yvonne ran to the door leading to the dining room. Henri, he called, come quickly. Henri entered a panically look on his face. He was followed by Sanchez and both waiters. Yvonne asked, is that supposed to be on and left unintended? No, monsieur, 
Henri launched into a furious set of orders and instructions to the two waiters, accompanied by pointing and gestures. Ivan told Sanchez to go back out and keep an eye on the customers, make sure no one left or contaminated the crime scene any further. Then he got a wet rag and dabbed at his irritated eyes. Henri and the woman waiter ran back and forth across the kitchen. Within minutes, the situation was under control. Almost another disaster, monsieur, Henri told Yvonne when things had quieted down. A particularly bad combination, ammonia and water. It would create a pungent sneak, stink, maybe even start a fire. A fearful look crossed the restaurateur's face. Sacre bleu, what else could go wrong tonight? While Henri went to the food warmer to see what he could offer his customers to salvage the evening, Yvonne took the opportunity to talk to the two waiters, both of whom had been in the dining room when the lights went out. Sarah Hassan was a drama student at New York City College. Medium height and build, her white shirt and white apron showed signs of wear. She was in her 20s, still living at home with her mother. When the lights went out, I was... I am worried, she said. If Henri has to close, well, money's tight. I might have to drop out of school for a while. Don't you worry none, Sarah, said the other waiter, Morden Joseph. He was in his 30s, trim, and stood about five inches shorter than Yvonne. In response to Yvonne's question about his name, Joseph laughed. You ain't the first person to ask. My folks told me it's a family name, but I think it was just my daddy's way of making sure I got beat up in school toughen me up, you know. Anyway, I had just delivered the salads to those gentlemen when the lights went out. No one bumped into me or anything. Yvonne knew where the busboy, Mohammed Saeed, had been, but asked anyway. After I filled your water glass, I went to the table of four. The small lady was drinking water quickly, he said. I refilled her glass three times so far. Henri called for them and they scurried out of the kitchen. Left alone, Yvonne surveyed the room. The ammonia mixture had been part of Jack's plan, perhaps a way to create confusion and let him slip away. But did Jack do it? Or did he, or she, have an accomplice? No one would notice Henri, the waiters, or the busboy going in and out of the kitchen. It might be the perfect cover for a helper. He'd have to keep his eye on all of them. Yvonne returned to the restaurant's dining room as the two tourist couples joined Sanchez next. According to their credentials, they were the Fredricksons and the Millers, but Ivan had not yet distinguished one pair from the other. One of the men was large, not just tall, but broad and burly with a receding hairline and florid skin tone. He was attached to the woman who had attempted to engage the victim in conversation. She, too, was tall and carried with her a sense of entitlement. The smaller, quieter couple stood behind the larger couple, as if for protection. I hope this won't take too long. We have these theater tickets we paid two grand for, said the larger man, who Yvonne finally realized was Charlie Fredrickson. As long as it needs to, responded Sanchez, clearly not swayed by the man's bombast. Under Sanchez's preliminary questions, the four tourists revealed that they were in from Terre Haute, a city in Indiana, which Yvonne recalled was somewhere in the middle of the United States. The two husbands were partners in some sort of agricultural business Yvonne didn't quite understand, and they also served on their city's Economic Development Advisory Board. They were in New York in what the men described as, quote, a long overdue vacation. As Sanchez established the basics, 
Yvonne kept his eyes on Henri, Sarah Hasten, Morden Joseph, and the busboy, Mohammed Saeed. They seemed to be acting normally, Henri hovering like a mother hen over his customers and bossing the staff around as they served. But still, it couldn't hurt to stay vigilant. Yvonne felt Sanchez touch his arm. You want to ask any questions? Sanchez asked. Yanked from his thoughts, Yvonne nodded. Mrs. Fredrickson, I understand you engaged the victim in conversation during dinner. It was just innocent conversation, interrupted Charlie Fredrickson, his voice strident. We were sitting next to him in this tiny restaurant for crying out loud. Henri harumphed from across the room. My restaurant, it is not tiny, he said. It has atmosphere. Pipe down, both of you, Sanchez said. Go on, Agent Richardson. Yvonne approached Mrs. Fredrickson. Up close, he noticed miniature stress line around her eyes. She momentarily put her left thumbnail in her mouth, chewing on it. The light from Henri's sconces caused her diamond watch to glisten. She wore no other jewelry. More than nervous, she scared, hiding something. Mrs. Fredrickson, Yvonne said, you were sitting closest to Mr. Anson, the victim, and doing most of the talking to him. What were you saying? The blonde smoothed her long hair. Just how are you and what places are good to see? The sort of superficial talk you have with the stranger. Yvonne pivoted quickly to the other woman, Mrs. Miller. Is that accurate? You were sitting across from Mrs. Fredrickson, also close to Mr. Anson. You must have heard the exchange. Mrs. Miller looked like a small scared bird. She shrugged and moved slightly behind her husband. Yvonne turned back to Mrs. Fredrickson. What was she hiding? Is she Jack or his accomplice? Who initiated the conversation, Mr. Mrs. Fredrickson? You or the victim? Mrs. Fredrickson licked her lips and looked at her husband. He came to her rescue. What difference does it? Let me hear it from her, Mr. Fredrickson. Yvonne leaned toward the woman. I think she'll crack if I press her. Come on, Mrs. Fredrickson, let's have the truth, because I'm told that the conversation was more like you were flirting with Mr. Anson. Charlie Fredrickson stepped in front of his wife. Just a minute there, fella. We're from Terre Haute. We don't take kindly to our women being accused of that kind of behavior. I think you owe my gal an apology. And if I don't, Yvonne challenged? Well, I'll force you to. Fredrickson started to remove his suit coat. My gal, that's what Fredrickson had said no ring on her finger. Mr. Fredrickson, lying during an investigation constitutes obstruction. Isn't that correct, Officer Sanchez? That's right, Sanchez agreed. So think carefully, sir, Yvonne continued. Being arrested will most certainly cause inquiries to be made back home, followed immediately by adverse publicity. Your, ahem, relatives back home are certain to hear of this. Fredrickson froze and went white. Charlie, Mr. Miller said in a soft voice, think about Claire and the kids. His facade breached. Fredrickson's bravado melted like snow in July and came out through a whole story. The woman traveling him was not his wife. She was Andrea Thomas, an employee at the business he and Miller ran. Recognizing the victim from business news stories, Fredrickson and Miller had hoped to get him interested in buying a new factory in Terre Haute. So Fredrickson had instructed his companion to flirt with Anson. But the man was a pig and a snob, Fredrickson continued. A typical big city fella. No offense. Yvonne waved away the insult, intended or not. So me and Rick, 
Frederick gestured to Miller. We decided we would do business with someone else. But before we could leave, the lights went out and, well, you know. Thank you for coming clean, Yvonne said. Please wait to return to the others. Left alone with Sanchez and Henri, Yvonne said, What do you think, officer? Are they the killers? Sanchez said, Definitely. They killed any interest I have in ever visiting Indiana. I'm sure, so let's talk about the intriguing Mrs. Hannigan, Yvonne said. Perhaps you will fare better with her. You're not missing out if you miss out on Terre Haute. I'm just saying, like, I'm just, I've been to Terre Haute. Not, it's, you're okay. You'll live, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> so cruel, the Terre Haute. Chapter 6, The Redhead. Up to this point, Priscilla Hannigan had sat quietly at the far end of the room, watching everything like a tiger stalking his prey. At Sanchez's summons, she glided over to where Yvonne and Sanchez sat. Up close, she was prettier than from afar. Straight auburn hair framed sensuous lips that held a bemused, take no prisoners expression, and ended below her shoulders to where her dress swelled nicely. If this had been a 1930s noir film, Hannigan would have been the femme fatale that distracted and nearly destroyed the hero. Yvonne had to force himself to focus on what the woman was saying in response to Sanchez's question. I enjoy trying new restaurants around the city, she said, her voice seductively throaty, and I'm a private person, so I often eat alone. Officer Sanchez seemed to have as much trouble concentrating as Yvonne was, if not more, so Yvonne told himself to focus and fill the silence. And yet, Miss Hannigan, you seem to be eyeing Mr. Anson throughout your meal. Had you ever met him? No, she said simply. Yvonne waited for her to add more, but apparently she was one of those rare people who didn't need to fill the vacuum of silence. So why were you eyeing him, he asked. Academic research, she replied, and then lapsed into silence again. Yvonne wasn't sure which of several common answers he was expecting, but this one didn't make his top ten. Academic research, he repeated, aware that he sounded like a schoolchild. She pulled her lovely auburn hair, and off it came, a wig concealing a curly brown mop. Maybe she's Jack, and she's getting ready to confess. Oh, that feels much better. That wig is really tight. She shook her head and ran her fingers through her hair. I'm an assistant professor of sociology and human relations at BQS. That's a community college with campuses in Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. And your work entails going out to dinner in disguise, Yvonne asked, thoroughly confused. I'm working on my dissertation, she explained. I focus on how adults create and commence social interactions in public settings. Yvonne took a moment to decipher her words. So you're studying how people pick each other up in bars and restaurants? I just said that. Professor Hannigan's tone and raised eyebrows suggested Yvonne was a slow learner. I go to different locations and observe or initiate, as, ne as needed, the social interactions, and then I discern the participants' objectives. It's sex, Yvonne wanted to scream. Instead, he asked, and the papers you are reading tonight over dinner, just a prop? She reached into her large purse and pulled out a sack of pages. Not at all. These are academic studies and articles that I will be quoting from and footnoting in my dissertation. 
thrusting them toward Yvonne, she added, you can check them out if you like. He skimmed the pages and they were as described, a bunch of long, dry, academic research findings. He handed them back and was about to say he was finished questioning her when another thought popped into his mind. Why papers? Why not a tablet? Perhaps I'm old-fashioned, she said, smiling. I'm not a fan of tools or technology. Yvonne thanked her and asked her to return to her seat. Yvonne turned to Sanchez. What do you think? I wouldn't mind helping her with her research and asking her out, the officer responded. Yvonne shook his head. I meant about the case. Oh, Sanchez grinned wolfishly. Well, I suppose everybody seems like they're who they're supposed to be. I can't make heads or tails out of this bunch. He looked at Yvonne. You? Any ideas? Yvonne thought about everything he'd seen and heard tonight, filtering it through his Dutch education, Europol experience, and what he knew from chasing Jack the Knife for many years. Then he nodded. Yes, I have an idea. Let's solve this. And we've reached the deliberation. How have we reached the deliberation? These stories are getting stupider, not stupid, but harder, harder. <laughs> what? I feel like these authors are out to get me. It's another closed room story. I they're mean, out to get me, Mom. <laughs> they're out to get you? Chuck's out to get you? Yeah. They, they see these and they're like, I know. I'm going to make Jack look stupid on his own podcast. <laughs> on his own podcast? <laughs> Come on. All right. Well, tonight's murder, or murder is tonight's special on the menu at Henri's restaurant. Jack the Knife, a skilled assassin, has killed his target, Frank Anson, and hasn't yet been able to escape. Europol agent Yvonne Richardson and NYPD officer Sanchez need our help to identify the killer in a room full of suspects. Okay. okay, so here's the suspects in the order that we've met them. Now I've eliminated the people who truly are not suspects. Okay. Okay. So we have Matthew Morrison, D.C. lawyer who worked with the victim. Uh-huh. Sarah Hasen, or Hassan, I think I said her name both ways, a waiter at the restaurant and a student. Is it supposed to be Hassan? It's H-A-S-A-N. Oh, never mind. If it was two S's, I think it would be Hassan. Hassan so I think mind. I pronounced it Hassan, and then I was like, no, there's not two S's. Yeah. So. Um, Morden R. Joseph, he's the other waiter at the restaurant. Uh-huh. Mohammed Said, who I also said his name two different ways, <laughs> a busboy at the restaurant. Okay. Charlie Fredrickson, a businessman from Terre Haute, Indiana. He's the blustery one. Uh. Mr. Miller, who didn't even get a first name, Fredrickson's friend and business partner. Okay. Andrea Thomas, Charlie Fredrickson's quote-unquote date. Yeah. And Priscilla Hannigan, a professor at the local community college. Okay. All right, so here are the facts. All right. Jack the Knife kills by getting up close and personal with his victims using an OTF jackknife. Okay. Anson was killed in a matter of seconds when the lights went out in Henri's restaurant. All right. The woman closest to Anson, Andrea Thomas, tried to make conversation to the point of annoyance as directed by her boss and lover, Fredrickson. Okay. <clears throat> Fredrickson and Miller hoped to entice Anson to build his factory in their city, but changed their minds after Andrea's failed after Andrea failed in her mission to flirt. Interesting. Now Priscilla Hannigan was flirting from a distance, but for her it was all research. Okay. Morrison was sitting with Anson, the client who was paying for his services and could only keep paying if he was alive. Okay. 
Sarah, the waiter, was en route to Priscilla when the lights went out. Priscilla, okay. Morden, the waiter, was near the dead men's table having delivered salads, but didn't see or feel anyone. Interesting. Mohammed, the busboy, was at the tourist table refilling water glasses. Okay. In addition to killing Anson, Jack or an accomplice put a pot of ammonia and water to boil. So, who should Ivan arrest to bring Jack to justice before dessert? Okay. So, I have multiple things to point out. Okay. One, I feel bad for people in Terre Haute. (laughs) I'm sorry. I said it, and I felt bad to the people. I don't feel bad for any other object that exists in Terre Haute. Screw that place. Have you been any place except the one place? Except for the one place that I performed in? Yes. No. But I hated that performance. Mm. And therefore, screw Terre Haute. I've been to a couple of places in Terre Haute. I've been to the Indiana State University campus there. That's very nice. And we wow. actually did some, my, my day job company did some work at both the water plant and the wastewater plant there. And the people there are very nice. They're very Midwest Indiana people. Like I said, I'm sorry to the people, not to the physical location. Okay. Okay. Second of all, how did the lights turn off? There was a gizmo or timer set in the, uh, in the, in the fuse box. Okay. So that at a set time, the lights went off. Okay, so everyone was where they had to be. Okay. Now, that fuse box, they said, was in the hallway where the kitchen and the bathrooms were, so everybody had access to it. Everyone had access. Interesting. I don't think... So, the thing that I thought was weird is the comment he said... uh, What's the guy's name again? Starts with the Y. Ivan. Ivan. It's spelled Ivan, and I think I slipped up there a time or two and said Ivan. 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 My bad. I thought it was spelled like Yvette, uh. which is spelled with the Y. But um, Yvonne asked her why she, like the uh, the Scientologist, not <laughs> the yes. sociologist, why she used paper instead yes. of a tablet. And that seemed like a very specific thing to add. Like hmm. it was, he stopped. So I feel like that has something to do with it. Hmm. However. However. I don't know how. So, if we're talking location-wise, technically, I think all three waiters had the opportunity to have been near him. I don't think the waiters had anything to do with the killing itself. I mean, all three waiters were standing. They were standing. And all of the patrons were sitting. Yes. But the killer, I guess the killer could work there. But it's not, it hasn't, the story hasn't been told as if the story, or like, as if the, uh, waiters were jack it sounds more like the waiters are accomplices it's a new restaurant so all of the waiters and bus people are new so it's not like any of these characters have worked for Henri for 12 years so one of them could theoretically be jack theoretically but i'm gonna game it and say it's not okay because the way he's explained it during the story makes it sound like when referring to the waiters He's referring to the help mm-hmm. that might have gotten hired. So I'm going to say the bus boy got hired as the help. Okay. Because he seems like the kind of guy who could have gotten in and out of everywhere without being noticed too much. He so was, you think he's the accomplice? I think he's the accomplice. When you say the help. When okay. I say, yeah, I think he's the accomplice. Um, it feels like the the quote-unquote date mm-hmm. girlfriend, she, had, she was closest 
and she also has like the least connection with the other guys. Okay. Because I don't think Jack would have connections, not connections. I don't think Jack would have a bunch of people there like those dudes. To, the tourists? Yeah, the tourists. To like know who he is. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't seem like, she seems like she could very easily, you know, slip in and out of that whatever social situation. Okay. I feel like I'm not explaining myself well. But no, I'm going to go with the uh, the date. Andrea and Thomas. Andrea Thomas and Morton. And we'll see how wrong I am. Wait, Morton or Mohammed? Oh, is Mohammed the So Mohammed is boy? the busboy and Morton is the waiter. Too many M names. I didn't notice how similar they were until you just said that. <laughs> Muhammad and Andrea. Okay. I know I'm wrong, but I would want to know how wrong. Okay. Well, before we go into that, I want to remind those who are also mystery readers that the companion book for this season and all the previous seasons, A Word Before Dying and Move It or Lose It, are available in ebook and trade paperback from online retailers. The dimes and quarters from those book sales do support the podcast and keep Jack and Pop-Tarts and software updates. And now we are ready for Chapter 7, The Killer is Revealed. Per the plan hastily set up between Yvonne and Sanchez, Yvonne stepped in front of the group as Sanchez positioned himself at the back, behind everyone. Henri continued to ply his customers with complimentary wine and hors d'oeuvres in an attempt to avoid negative online reviews, while the Fredricksons and the Millers talked quietly amongst themselves. Priscilla Hannigan read her academic papers, and Matthew Morrison alternated between phone calls and either texts or emails, probably trying to salvage the financial deal Frank Anson had been working on. Joseph, Hassan, and Saeed, the two waitstaff members and the busboy, helped Henri, but also cast nervous glances at everyone. Yvonne held up his hands for silence and the group grew quiet. I want to thank you all for your cooperation. I know it's been a difficult and trying time, but let me assure you, it is almost finished. You've caught the guy, asked Charlie Fredrickson. Almost, Yvonne nodded. I know who it is, and I can prove it. He paused dramatically, watching everyone's reactions, likely still worried that Fredrickson's affair would be publicized by the murder before tourists looked nervous. So did Henri and the three members of his staff, albeit for different reasons, all revolving around money and whether the restaurant could survive bad publicity. Hannigan and Morrison each remained impassive, which Yvonne expected, because both were accustomed to observing and not showing reactions. Before identifying the killer, he said, let me tell you how I arrived at my conclusion. Frank Anson was CEO of a manufacturing company, probably what is called a type A personality. That would make him extremely difficult to work with, or for. Of everyone here, you're the only person who knew him, Mr. Morrison. Am I correct so far? Matthew Morrison stared at Yvonne, probably evaluating the pros and cons of answering, not answering and hedging the truth. Everyone has their idiosyncrasies, he said, clearly selecting the middle choice. I'll take that as a yes, Yvonne said, nodding. And in today's corporations are evil environment, that made him a target for liable members, liberal members of society. Right, Professor Hannigan? You deal with college students a lot. Priscilla Hannigan shrugged. That's outside of my field of academic study. 
Perhaps, he said, but even so, there are people who want the benefits of what a man like Anson could provide, things like job, money, fame, and power. Those are up your alley, aren't they, Mr. Fredrickson? Mr. Miller? Fredrickson remained belligerent to the very end, maybe helped along by Henri's generous pourings of wine. Nothing wrong with wanting those things, Agent Richardson. It's what makes America strong enough to protect you European wusses. The burly man pulled away as Miller tried to shush him. It's a fact and everyone knows it. I'll be happy to debate that another time, Yvonne responded. But let's not forget that Mr. Anson insulted your female friend. Those kind of affronts must be responded to, either gallantly by the gentleman or viciously by the woman. Don't you agree, Mrs. Miller, Miss Thomas, addressing the two women and using the real name of Fredrickson's date? No, they said as one. We would never. Of course not, Yvonne reassured them. The thought never occurred to me. Yvonne caught Sanchez's eye and nodded. Be ready. Jack will react. So it's possible to create a motive, weak or strong, for each of you. And given the cozy confines of Arie's establishment, everyone could have dispatched Mr. Anson. Yvonne paused. But only one of you, Morden Joseph, the male waiter, leapt forward and grabbed the serving knife fork from the platter Henri was holding. He held the long, sharp tines to Henri's neck. That's quite enough, Agent Richardson, he said, all remnants of his earlier good humor gone. I'm getting out of here, and no one's going to stop me. Even with this surprise, Yvonne reacted, stepping toward Joseph and his hostage. You've got nowhere to go, Jack. Let Henri go, and I'll make sure you're treated fairly. Jack rotated, keeping Yvonne in front of him. That's what you say now, but later it'll be a different story. You have my word, he said calmly. Then he shouted, Now! Officer Sanchez put the barrel of the gun against Jack's temple. One move and you're a dead man. It ended quickly from there. Jack let Henri go and Sanchez cuffed the assassin. Then he called the detectives to tell him that he was bringing up the perp. Sanchez walked over to Yvonne. I'm taking him to the 27th precinct. You'll need to head there yourself. Ask for Detective Hill or Sergeant Esposito. They know who you are. Sanchez put out his hand. I enjoyed working with you, Agent Richardson. Next time you're in the States, let's get together and have a drink instead of murder. Yvonne laughed and shook the officer's hand. You're a good cop, Sanchez. Keep learning and having new experiences, and one of these days, you'll make detective. Let's hope so, Sanchez grinned and left with Jack in tow. Feeling expansive at his capture of the assassin and needing to buy some time, Yvonne told Henri to break out the cognac. Drinks are on me, he said to everyone. The tension that surrounded the group dissipated and everyone seemed to be in a festive mood. I don't mind telling you, Richardson, you had me going for a minute, said Charlie Fredrickson, extending his hand. I figured you were looking to pin this on me, ahem, or my friend. Yvonne accepted and showed no hard feelings. No worries, Mr. Fredrickson. I was just following the evidence. Yes, about that, said Priscilla Hannigan as she joined them. How did you know it was the waiter and not one of us? Well, this was the moment that Yvonne had been delaying for. In truth, he had been about to accuse Fredrickson's date when Morden Joseph grabbed the serving fork and tried to escape. Yvonne had been using the last few minutes to develop a cover story. It was quite simple, he said, trying to sound modest. Anson had been stabbed fairly low to the ground, which meant that the killer was someone of average to below average height. Also, lights came on fairly quickly, so that eliminated Fredrickson, Mr. and Mrs. Miller, and Professor Hannigan. They were all too far away. 
and Mr. Morrison's identity, well, that had been established. Very impressive, Agent Richardson, Priscilla Hannigan said. She pulled a card from her purse and wrote on the back of it, Here are my office and cell numbers. I hope that you don't have to leave for Europe too quickly. She blushed slightly. I was hoping you could assist me with my academic research. If my schedule permits, Professor, I'd be honored to. Just then, Ivan's cell vibrated inside of his jacket pocket. He pulled it out and saw a number he didn't recognize, not an uncommon occurrence for him. He excused himself and walked toward the restaurant's front door, looking for a quiet spot as he answered the call. I'm delighted you answered, Agent Richardson, a man's voice said. I would have hated leaving you a voicemail. Who is this? Yvonne demanded. You haven't figured it out, have you? The voice chuckled. I suspect you're about to get visitors. As if on cue, there was a pounding on the front door. NYPD, open up, the voice on the phone said. Those are the real cops, Agent Richardson. Sanchez was my man, my plan B, if you will, in case things went awry. I'm disappointed in you, sir. I'd heard you were quite skilled at your job. I thought you'd figure out the clue I gave you. Clue, Yvonne repeated. My fake name, Mordenar Joseph. I adapted it from Mordenar, the Dutch word for assassin. The voice laughed again. You best let the police in before they break down Henri's door. Better luck hunting me next time, agent. The call disconnected. As if in a trance, Yvonne put away his phone to open the door, wondering how he was going to explain to his superiors at Europol how he'd let Jack the Knife slip through his fingers. The End Well, I was wrong. <laughs> I'll say I'll be the second to say that. The first one being every listener when they figured it out. <laughs> really cool story, wasn't it? That was a cool story. Um, yeah, I thought it was weird that they sent one dude to a murder. Yeah. And like just a regular old beat cop. Mm-hmm. Even, even for like. The Interpol dude, he should have been like, hey, can we get more than one person down here? So when I was uh, reading the story, you know, I read it two or three times. Uh-huh. And when you read it through the first time, you're like, wow, like, no, that 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 doesn't work. But when you read it through the second time, there are all these little things like every time Morden went from the kitchen into the dining room, he uh-huh. banged into Richardson, into Yvonne as hard as he could. Huh. And then he was at the table delivering salads when the light went out. So he was physically right there. And when they interview him, he's like, well, nobody bumped into me. I didn't see anybody. No, because you were the killer. That's the one thing I noticed. (laughs) It was like, no one bumped into him. Well, so you're assuming he's innocent. Okay, Uh I guess he's not a suspect. (laughs) So Chuck did craft him to be almost not there. Yeah, he just blended into the scenery. That was pretty cool. You know, and then that he goes cool. into the kitchen and he puts the water and ammonia on the stove. Uh-huh. And again, he's going in and out. They've already sent the kitchen staff home. So he just has to be alone for a few minutes. It would have started a problem that would have allowed him to walk right out the front door if Yvonne hadn't walked in on it. I never would have guessed the cop. T- I guess I could have. I- did a few times be like, that's not a real, that's not what a real cop would do. What the hell? <laughs> I and did then, not. I was so surprised by, by Sanchez. I didn't have that. A real cop wouldn't do that. I was just like, man, that he really got a rookie. 
Yeah, I guess that was part of the his you know his whole cover was that if he doesn't know what he's doing, well, he's new. Yeah, that explains and that. And Ivan will do it for him. I guess it would have been a real hint if he was supposed to be weathered and he made little mistakes like that. Yeah, that could have been a hint, but no, that was pretty covered up. Never would have guessed him in a million yep. years. Nope, and obviously we don't speak Dutch, so we would not have gotten more than our. And since Ivan didn't cue in on it there was nothing to read like oh hey that sounds a lot like the word for assassin yeah that was specifically for the character yes not for us we are not yes the listener (laughs) that was pretty cool you know screw chuck for making a Terre Haute dude but anyway (laughs) well he so chuck's day job is a lawyer so he made a number of of lawyer jokes i think he the uh indiana and Terre Haute was to entertain uh, you and me and then he uh he balanced that out with his own lawyer cracks (laughs) i i yeah the only thing that i think confused me was like there was a d like the one guy was from illinois the other guy was from dc they seem to be friends but they like don't live anywhere near each other they're business companions that's why i was like "Eh, fine whatever so yeah. I did do some research on jackknives, and this was actually, of all the jacks that I've done the research on, this probably has the most boring backstory. Because every other jack has been pretty, even like lumberjack was like really inventive on, yeah, it means wood and man, but you know, the how it came to be. A jackknife is a clasp knife, and that's one where the blade folds into the handle, and they've been around since quote, antiquity. Um, I can't, what website did I pull this from? Uh, Wordorigins.org. The link is in the show notes. Um, The term itself, the term jackknife, I have to say, I love the way jackknife is spelled, that it has a double K. I think that is just really cool. It dates back to the mid-17th century and arose in the north of England or in Scotland. The word jack obviously kind of means man, but it was like, how did it come to be a jackknife? According to Word Origins, the leading explanation is that comes it comes from a bent, a, gosh, I'm glad I didn't step over my tongue this way reading the story, is that it comes from a blend of jack of the leg. So in the north of England and Scotland, the knives are known as, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher this, jack to legs. The jack is from the use of the word man, and the leg is thought to refer to the fact that the handles of such knives are often carved in the shape of a human leg. To this day, jambette, little leg, is used in some French dialects to refer to a clasp knife. An alternate theory is that it comes from the name of a 17th century Flemish maker of knives, Jacques de Liège. There is evidence of clasp knives bearing his or similar names once existed. In Jacques de Liège, could easily become Jack the Leg in the mouths of non-Spanish speakers or people who butcher it, like me. The earliest known appearance of the form of the word jackknife or Jack to Leg is in a 1642 inventory of wares of a merchant named William Mackerel, with a lot of double letters, of Newcastle upon the Tyne. So it's pretty cool that that word goes all the way back to is that the 15th century? Again, the link is in the show notes. So now a little bit more about Chuck. So Chuck Brownman has spent the last 25 years working on becoming an overnight writing sensation. Concentrating on writing mysteries and suspense short fiction, 
His work has been published in several anthologies, including ours, including the 2019 Eyes of Texas Anthology from Down and Out Books, Volumes 4 and 5 of the annual Death Edge Tales Anthology, and a Book of the Month Club Anthology. He won the 2017 Arizona Mystery Writers Short Story Contest and was a finalist for the 2015 Criminal Element Short Fiction Contest. His stories have also appeared on MysteryNet.com's site. In real life, Chuck is a Houston-based corporate and energy attorney, advising and working for some of the country's most entrepreneurial companies. He is also an adjunct professor of law and has spoken at legal seminars for many years. Keep writing for us, Chuck. We love your stories. The wrap-up. So this wraps up Mysteries to Die For. Please do support our show by subscribing, telling a mystery lover about us, and giving us a five-star review. Check out our website, tgwolf.com forward slash podcast for links to this season's authors. Mysteries to Die For is hosted by T.G. Wolf and Jack Wolf. The story was written by Chuck Brownman. Music and production are by Jack Wolf. Episode art is by T.G. Wolf. Join us next week for a toe tag that is the first chapter of a fresh release in the mystery thriller or crime genre, and then be back in two weeks for episode 11. It's one of mine called The Crackpots Jackpot. All right, Jack, take us out. <laughs>